gives it to Wall. Working against Bradley for three. John Wall! Oh, what a shot! Swing so a fly ball, center field deep. Bellinger going back to the warning track, to the wall. It's a grand slam! Howie Kendrick has done it! They're going crazy in the Nationals' dugout. Bledsoe back to pass, steps up, going deep. Caught ball! T.O. is leveled by Sean Taylor, and he's slow getting up. Could be a run back from 9 deep for Jacoby Jones, and look at him go! Jones is past the 50, and he is flying inside the 20, and a kickoff return, 109 yards and a touchdown, an all-time record. Holding inbounds to Nicholas, four seconds, three seconds, he's across midcourt, two seconds, one second, throws it up, and he got it, and the Terrapins win on the shot by Nicholas at the buzzer. Hayes win, Hayes win, Hayes win, Hayes win, Hayes win. Hockey front, Connolly with a chance, and they score! They score! The puck on a rebound for Lars Eller! And as the puck drops, the words that D.C. fans have been waiting to hear since 1974, the Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions! Hey, what's going on, everyone, and welcome to the DMV Dispute, brought to you by DMV Sports Network. You can follow us on Twitter at DMV Dispute, and I'm your host, Jeremy, and you can follow me on Twitter at JSquared021. I'm joined today by my boys, Darren and Gerard. Darren, Gerard, how's everything going with you all? Good Victory Monday. It's a lot's happening, a lot's happening. I love it. Hey, it is about time that the Washington Redskins got a victory, and we will get into that and all others. We're going to talk about the Mystics, going to talk about the uh, Nationals and the Baltimore Ravens, and we may have some other topics to go on. Before we start, uh, Gerard, where can they find you on Twitter? They can find me on Twitter at RoddyKG. That's at R-O-D-D-Y-K-G. All right, and what about you, Darren? You can find me at D-Bird Hoops. That's D-B-I-R-D Hoops on Twitter. All right. As always, we're proud to do this podcast for one of the top sports websites in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, and that is dmvsportsnetwork.com. Uh, they can be followed on Twitter and Instagram at dmv underscore sn. They have uh, some great daily content on the website of all things DMV sports, whether it be professional college, high school sports, and a lot more. So after you listen to this podcast, go ahead and check out dmvsportsnetwork.com. In addition, please be sure to subscribe to our show wherever podcasts are available. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, and many more. Let's go to our first topic for this episode. The Washington Mystics are now the WNBA champions they won their first WNBA finals last week in game five against the connecticut sun i'm gonna start with you uh gerard on a scale of one to ten with ten being ecstatic one being whatever uh what was your excitement level for the washington mystics getting their first WNBA title and and why did you have that excitement level uh, I would say that my excitement level was at about a 8 out of 10. Yeah, I'll say 8 out of 10 would be my excitement level. And it was because I was – any time a D.C. team uh, wins a championship, especially in the sport that I love, which is basketball, I'm going to be excited. I'm going to be as excited as I possibly can be for any team winning. Basketball, it's just that cherry on top. The reason why it's not a 9 or a 10 for me is just because I didn't grow up watching the Mystics. I wasn't a – I'm not a huge Mystics, you know, follower or fan. I don't keep up with them as often or as regular as I would the Wizards or, you know, Maryland basketball or anything like that. And so – is I don't have that emotional connection to the team. You know, I didn't grow, I don't I don't have memories of being, you know, a 6 7 year old, 10 year old watching Mystics games, rooting for the Mystics and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I've always been aware of their existence, I just never really got into it until my adulthood. Um, and so that's that's the primary reason why 
I'm not as excited as somebody maybe like a Darren would be about this win. I'm I'm extremely excited. Don't get me wrong, but it's just not something that I have that emotional connection to. Uh, yeah, I think you know if if I had to rate my excitement from one to ten, I would have to say it's a twelve. Um, but it, I mean, if you let me, but I mean, it, right. yeah, it's, right. it's a 12, honestly. I mean, if you've been following me on Twitter at all or anything, you know, I've been raving at this, about this team, um, pretty much all season, honestly, like, especially, you know, since last year, last year was super exciting. You know, we made it to the finals, but we got swept. I think, you know, this time around, just seeing how much they've battled and, and having our secret weapon, Emma back. And, you know, she got to be here to, to you know, help us win and rightfully deserve uh, that finals MVP award. Uh, she's back in Russia, you know, playing with her team now um, as several of our players are overseas with their, you know, off-season teams. But um, yeah, it was super exciting. And I mean, I think the biggest reason why I'm excited is the series was so good. You know, every single game was, it was nip-tuck. It came down to pretty much the last few minutes of every single game. Um I think I feel like there was really only there was only one true blowout. I felt like where where it really felt like the Mystics never had a shot. I think in the game, and I think that was Game Two at home when we first lost Elena Deladon to her herniated disc. Um, and I mean, I think that's another thing. You know, by Game Five, she was playing with uh, three herniated discs, um, and she was still able to put up a great performance and help us fight back. And I think, you know, these are the two teams that I think everybody really wanted to see in the WNBA Finals, and they definitely delivered. You know. Um, five games that's all you can ask for in the WNBA and it was just like it was super exciting and then you know once again like you said Gerard I'll piggyback off of that just really having another championship in DC you know whether you pay attention to the Mystics or not whether you're into the WNBA or not I mean it's just an exciting time for the city really I mean it feels like we're having a lot of success you know if you look at you know the Capitals being you know a good team you know they're going to be a a perennial playoff team as far as I'm concerned. I know we're not really going to talk about them tonight, um, but they're a perennial playoff team, and the Nats are having success. We'll talk about them a little bit later, and the Mystics just brought a championship to D.C., you know? So, I mean, it's super exciting. It's an exciting time to be a D.C. sports fan. I say that knowing well that the Wizards and the Redskins are still DC sports teams, but it's still an exciting time to be to be a DC sports fan, I think. And I think the Mystics just kinda put that little cherry on on top of things. So hopefully the success can translate to some of our other DC teams somewhere down the line. We'll see. Uh, when it comes to me, the excitement level for me was like an eight or a nine. And, and I say that just because of the buzz that was around the city. Uh, yep. They had watch parties at multiple parts of the city. I know the main one, I think, was at uh, Na- Nash- the National Harbor, yeah, correct? Yeah, yep, mm-hmm. the National Harbor uh, for games uh, three and four. Yes, yes, yes. So that was, that was a big thing. And then also seeing the local athletes actually go and support we saw john wall there we asked we saw scott brooks i think bradley beal was bradley there beal was there yep scott brooks john wall and bradley beal actually stayed back from from leaving with the rest of the team to go play the knicks over the weekend so that they uh-huh, could yes. see uh so they could see the mystics play and by the way just to sort of piggyback on what you said jeremy uh bradley beal released a piece about his support of the mystics last week um Go find it. It's it's very good. He talks about, you know, and it's kind of a story that we already knew if you know anything about Bradley Beal, but basically his mom was the one that that made him into the player that he is today. You know, she's the one that that uh that made sure that he got up early to to train and and taught him what he knows and taught him about his jumper. And, you know, he says that after every game, you know, she still he still talks to her after every game and she critiques his performances and tells him what he did wrong and stuff. So, you know, just everybody go check out uh, what Bradley Beal wrote about the WNBA and about supporting mystics and about, you know, supporting female athletes in general. So it's a, it's a great read. 
Yes, we'll definitely have to check that out. And and just the the excitement level around the city and combining it with the Nats, and we're going to get to the Nats Nats shortly, uh, all of that going on at the same time. It was really exciting to see the Mystics win. And like we said, another championship in in the area. And, And I do remember a time, like let's say this was 15 years ago. If the Mystics won 15 years ago, it would have been like, okay, they won. But right. the WNBA has grown a lot. This is what year twenty one, I think, of of the this WNBA. Is, yep. So so it, it's twenty second season. Oh, twenty second. Okay. Yeah. So it, it was just cool to see them win and the excitement around the city and the amount of uh, people that I've actually met throughout the last uh, like week week and a half who actually said. You know what? I was at the game, you know, game five or I was at game one or two. Like I actually met a lot of people with my job who who said, oh, yeah, I actually went down there and and I saw the game live. And then also in that in that arena, the uh, the entertainment sports and entertainment arena down there, I think is a great venue for the Mystics. I I do believe if they actually played at the Capital One Arena. Yeah. It wouldn't have been, I'm not saying they wouldn't have fit. They wouldn't have like gotten more fans there, but I feel like that huge arena would have kind of not, you wouldn't have got this true like atmosphere of how passionate the fans were. And and you felt that in the, uh, in the sports and entertainment arena. If you look at Connecticut's arena for games three and four, like it was packed, but it's like, it's like an actual arena where they play like a big, I mean, the entertainment and sports arena is, but it's like, it's a smaller, much more intimate arena. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can pretty much guarantee that for playoff games and for finals games, there's enough fans that it's going to look packed, but a capital one arena, you know, I, I hate to admit this, you know, I could probably go on about this for hours, but I wouldn't, but you know, just, it wouldn't look as good because they don't even sell tickets for like the upper levels and whatnot. Uh-huh, you're right. So if you so if you get like a wide shot of Capital One Arena, then it just it doesn't have the same energy as the little intimate entertainment and sports arena uh, is. And I mean, when you think about it, like the Mystics, like this is how bad to to piggyback off this point. This is how bad it is. You know, the Mystics when when they were in their early years and the games like were really well attended compared mm-hmm. to other mystics games you know they actually raised the banner one year for like you know best attendance champions attendance, yeah. attendance champions so like you know they received a lot of flack for that so they they have grown from being quote-unquote attendance champions to actually being actual champions and legitimately going to raise an actual banner at the entertainment and sports arena so it's a big deal especially with uh the esa in its first uh in its first year of existence so that's a that's a nice way to sort of christen the arena i should say uh, now let's move on to our next topic. Yes, we're going to talk about another uh, team in the postseason, the Washington Nationals. The Nationals won the NLDS versus the Dodgers in Game 5 in L.A. Uh, Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto rattled, rattled the team in the eighth inning to tie it up at three. Uh, the pitchers, uh, Patrick Corbin and Daniel Hudson, stymied the Dodgers in the eighth and ninth inning in the top of the 10th inning, Howie Kendricks hit a go-ahead Grand Slam home run, and that home run was phenomenal, but I think the Dodgers pitchers were thinking about what Juan Soto did in the 8th inning, and they decided to load the bases with zero outs, and they decided to load the bases for Howie Kendricks, and Howie Kendricks hit a Grand Slam home home run. I think it was the first grand slam home run in the postseason for the nationals i think but i can um i'll have to double check on that one and then uh sean doolittle closed out the game to advance to the nlcs and now uh we're gonna actually talk about the nlcs which is going on right now but before we get to that let's talk about this real quick outside of the obvious Howie Kendrick's grand slam home run. Darren, what was the most impactful point of that game in a, a game five? What was what was the moment where you're like, you know what? That was what really put us in a position to win. Obviously, the grand slam was right. the game winner, but right. what other moments in the game do you remember was was very pivotal for the Nationals to win? I think it has 
I think it had to have been um, Rendon and Soto uh, in the in the eighth inning. You know, it had to be uh, those back back home runs. I think that's what really gave the Nats the momentum that they needed before Kendrick's uh, grand slam. I think that's the moment where I think the Dodgers kind of started to choke. They started to they started to kind of um, you know started to, started to doubt themselves. Um, I don't think they should have gone to Clayton Kershaw, the Dodgers, after that, um, because you know he is not the guy that you go to in the postseason um, when you're in a situation like that. That's just that's that's not that was a bad decision by the Dodgers. But I think definitely, and I think most fans will agree that that um, momentum they got from Rendon and, and Soto, you know, tying the game up and and really making it a ball game. Uh, I think that's what really uh, gave Nats fans the idea that hey, you know, this is this is our opportunity that we can capitalize on it. And then you know, Kendrick's Kendrick's grand slam was obviously the big moment of the game. It's still the moment that everybody talks about. Um, but you know, honestly, Rendon and Soto were were you know the driving force behind the Nats making that comeback and and really being able to close it out. Um, with the Grand Slam. So uh, I have to say it's a combination of that and really just the Dodgers choking. I, I don't think that they, I, I don't think they were ready for, for what was coming next. But yeah, the big thing was just uh, Rendon and Soto just, you know, taking care of business and, and giving the Nats the momentum they needed to, to push ahead and move on. For me, it was, of course, the eighth inning. Uh, right. Of course, the eighth inning was pivotal, but I think the uh, well really, really drove a home the bottom of the eighth and the ninth inning for the Nationals and the bottom of the tenth. The bullpen, the way they closed out that game going into extra innings in the eighth and the ninth innings, not allowing Dodgers to get any momentum going. I think at most they got was maybe a hit. I don't think they ever got into scoring position uh, those last couple of innings. And the bullpen just doing its job and really stepping up and, you know, putting a lot of doubts that they had, that a lot of people had about the Nats bullpen coming into the postseason to bed. They were able to throw their way into a extra inning situation and and it was set up perfect because that's all they had to do. They knew that we. They knew that at the start of the tenth inning, we would have that rotation of you know Rendon's, uh, Soto, uh, Zimmerman, Kendrick. We would have all those guys up at bat. We just had to get to the tenth, and they understood that and did what they had to do to keep uh, LA from uh, getting a lead or to get any momentum going into the 10th inning. And knowing that if we kept momentum going to extra innings, that we had the bats in our favor to do something about, to do something with it. And that's what happened. So I think that was the point for me. When I, you know, when, uh, we, when I saw that uh, the pitching, that the uh, bullpen was holding firm and, uh, the LA crowd was silent going into extra innings with a lot of nervous energy in the building. I knew that the Nats had a one at that point. For for me, uh, another moment that was very pivotal was in the ninth inning when Will Smith was at bat and he hit a ball that was literally just like four or five feet away from being the game winning walk off home run, and Adam Eaton was able to get in position. To uh, you know, not just get the out, but keep the runners, uh, have the runners stay on their bases, and then obviously the game went to the tenth inning, and then we know obviously Howie Kendrick's big home run that led the Nationals to the National League Championship Series. So let's uh, let's now get to the National League Championship Series. They are facing the St. Louis Cardinals which is St. Louis is what they call baseball town in America. And the Nats had to go on the road for the first two games of that series. And they currently have a 2-0 lead over the Cardinals. Game one, uh, Anibal Sanchez had a no-hitter going into what? What was it like the eighth inning he had a no-hitter going into that? Uh, yeah, I think he had seven and a half. I Something like had, that. Yeah, he had he, seven he and a half. 
it ain't good. So, so yeah, so he 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 played well, and, and the Nats were able to put up a few runs to to keep them uh, or give them the win. And then game two, the uh, uh, Max Scherzer pitched a gem also, and, and he had also a, a one hitter uh, for for that game. And the Nats won that game three to one. Currently, the Nats are here at Nats Park for Game 3. Game 2 will be Tuesday, so by the time you hear this podcast, uh, you will know what happened after Game 1. Game 2 is on Tuesday, and then Game 3, if necessary, is going to be on Wednesday. And just a quick update for you all, the Nationals are up in the sixth inning. 6-0 over the Cardinals, and Strasburg has only thrown 87 pitches, and they're at the top of the sixth inning. So he's playing pretty well. But um, one thing that I I, I have to ask you all, and I'll start with you, Gerard. We know, obviously, they're up 2-0, and I just gave you the update for what's happening in Game 3. What other adjustments do you think the Nats have to make to secure a World Series berth? I think that the only adjustment they have to make is to not overthink. They are doing the things that have gotten them success so far, so far this postseason. They're relying on their rotation. Davey Martinez is being really, really smart about his lineups and with, with his bullpen strategy. He's not putting guys in too early. He's making sure that you know, he's not doing what we've seen the Dodgers do, what we've seen the Cardinals do up until this point. He's not doing it a lot of um, changes to his uh, to the pitching rotation or to the bullpen based on who's hitting necessarily. We've seen the Dodgers and see other teams bring out a guy for just to face Anthony Rendon or just to face Juan Soto. He's putting his faith in Doolittle and in Hudson and believing that they can take care of what they have to take care of and go through an inning or two, no matter who's uh, up at bat. And I think that's what's really helped out. Uh, yeah, I think, excuse me, I echo everything that you just said. Um, I think that the, I think that the Nats just sort of need to stick to to their game plan and what they're doing because they're playing really well. You know, Strasburg has to continue his his uh, his strong play. Um, just like you said, don't overthink it. Those are actually like about the words that that I was gonna use. You know, I was gonna say, you know, they need to just not get ahead of themselves. They need to make sure that they keep the Cardinals in their focus as opposed to to looking ahead. Uh, to the World Series. They've got to stay focused where they are with this series. And I think that, you know, you know, Davey Martinez just needs to just needs to keep doing what he's doing. I mean, it's hard to believe that just earlier this year, a few months ago, we were talking about whether or not he he should his job should be safe throughout the season. So, you know, I think we're eating a little bit of crow there these days. But I think that um we just have he just has to trust his game plan, keep playing smart, and the Nats just need to stay within their game and just stay focused, keep the pressure on. Don't let the Cardinals' defense really pick up and and uh, gain momentum. So looks like they're off to a good start um, so far. Like you said, uh, you know, in the sixth inning, you know, the the Nats are up six zero, but you know, in sports, crazy things can happen. You never know, but. Um, you know, hopefully they're on the right they're on the right track and just stick to their game plan, trust their guns, and just stay aggressive, keep the momentum on DC's side. Yeah, I would have to agree agree with you all. Just staying focused. Don't let the moment overtake you all. And um, you know, I I they're up they're up they're up six zero in game three. It looks like they're going to win this game. Let's not have this series go to six or seven games. Yes. Like, let's end it here in Washington. If the Cardinals happen to get, get, you know, game four, okay, let's end it in game five. Let's not have to go on the road because once you go back to St. Louis, 
it, anything's possible at that point. Um, so, so that's what I'm saying. Handle it here. Stay focused. You know, don't don't think about celebrating. You know, before it happens. Let's just try and get this. Let's try and win this series. Celebrate before the the World Series, and then and then change our focus to the World Series because our World Series opponent. If we were to, you know, get there, it would be either be the Yankees or the Astros who are very talented. So we still need to be focused. I, I know as a Washington fan, it's great seeing a championship series go on in the city. So um, that's something to look forward to. And also, uh, we haven't had a team. Well, the Mystics just won the finals here in Washington. But the when it comes to the Nats or even the Capitals, the Capitals clinched their series all on the road uh, when it came to the championship series uh, in the Eastern Conference Championship and the Stanley Cup Finals. They were all on the road when they clinched those victories. So I want the Nationals to clinch those series here at home and let the fans celebrate with, with the team here. Um, before we continue, just want to give you all an update on what's happening with DMV Sports Network. We have a large library of podcasts that are available right now. There are nine active shows, including team shows for the Redskins, Capitals, Nationals, Wizards, and Ravens. There's Fantasy Fever, which deals with all things fantasy football, and a pair of mixed bag shows from It's About Time DC and Dom and Thunder. All of these shows are available wherever podcasts can be found, so please check them out. And if you like any of these shows, please leave a review and subscribe to them on the podcast platform of your choice. Who would have thought it would take us almost 30 minutes to get to the Washington Redskins and to talk about <laughs> you know, their first victory of the year? Like, Who would have thought that it would take us this long to even get to a Washington Redskins topic, but that just shows how well sports is going for the DMV. The Washington Redskins won their first game of the season against the Miami Dolphins. Case Keenum returned to the lineup as quarterback. Adrian Peterson had his best game of the season with 118 rushing yards on 23 carries. That is a five yard average per carry uh was there and i'll start with you uh darren was there anything different with how the team played under interim head coach bill callahan i there's two answers to this question there's a yes and a no i think the o-line definitely looked like they were playing well i think it was arguably the offense's uh best game of the season um, you know, it's the first time the Redskins went for more than 100 yards rushing, you know, uh, Case Keenum didn't get sacked. Uh, that's, uh, that's great. Um, I, I am, I am loving what I'm seeing from this offense, or I was loving what I saw from them yesterday, at least for the first half of, of the game. Um, but at the same time, I'm still seeing the same issues on the defensive end. And I mean, anyone who knows me knows how much I love defense. And so I'm watching this defense very, 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 very closely. And it's still the same thing where, where they can stifle an opponent in the first half. They can hold them, um, you know, they can hold them down, you know, no touchdowns, etc. And then all the energy just dis dissipates. It, it leaves the arena in the in the uh, second, in the second half of the game, and then you know this game came right down to the wire. You know, it, to the point where it didn't even feel like a win. You know, I think at, at halftime, you know, the players are looking at it. They're saying, "Oh yeah, you know, we're we're up on the Dolphins. You know, we got this. We're not the worst team in the league." Blah blah blah. blah. And then it comes down to it comes down to a missed uh, two point conversion and. And which you know would have sealed the game, and it just didn't even feel like a win. And I was just watching it. <sighs> I was just watching it in those in those in that fine in those final seconds, and I was like, "Look, you know, the Redskins. I think deserve to lose that game. Honestly, I wouldn't have been surprised if they lost, or at least it ended in a tie. But you know, it, it is what it is. So." I mean, a win is a win. 
I'll take it. We avoid an 0-16 season, so I'm I'm good with that. But to answer the question, yes, as far as the offense goes, it looked like they were playing with more energy. You know, just seeing Adrian Peterson out there um, more was was just solid. After you know, Gruden basically did all he could to just not play him. but the defense is still looking like the same old Redskins defense that that needs to be improved and needs to be fixed. So on the whole, I don't think the coaching change really changes anything. You also have to keep in perspective, it's the Dolphins, so I can't put too much onus on that. You know, playing the Dolphins can make most teams look good. but the fact that it was still just a one-point narrow victory, um, I can't, in good conscience, say that it was a huge, a huge improvement, a huge change. But you know, there were some, there were definitely some good things that happened in the game on Sunday. Um, yeah, there are some good things, of course, to win. Um, but another issue that the Redskins always seem to have is lack of identity, and I don't know if Callahan comes in. Of course, it's on an interim basis. Of course, he didn't start the season, the offseason, training camp, preseason, et cetera, with, this, with the reins, but I don't think Callahan's the guy to come in and right the ship. I think he understands what needs to be done. I think he's a guy who has the respect of his players, uh, at least the players on the team. And he came in and you know he said throughout the entire week last week that they're going to focus on running the ball. You know, as offensive line coach, you could if those who remember his time in Oakland, what type of offense they wanted to run and, and the type of offense he ran. Uh, it's very old school. It's a very traditional type of offense and scheme that he likes to run. And he's uh, on in a position now where he has a Hall of Fame running back. And even without Trent Williams, uh, solid players on the offensive line who he's coached up. Uh, and so he's going to want to run the ball. It's what the team's going to look different. I think it's one of those situations that lends itself to uh, that lends itself to seeing Haskins come in earlier. He mentioned earlier this week that Haskins will be active because he's the future of the franchise. I, th- I believe he understands that, understands that Dwayne Haskins should be uh, getting playing time. And I think he mentioned that he's going to give uh, reps and everything like that. I believe he just wanted to get a win. He wanted to get a win under his belt as – Head coach, I don't believe Dwayne Haskins becomes the starting quarterback this week. I think maybe after another loss or Alex Smith looks bad, I think he's going to, after a while, not Alex Smith, excuse me, after Case Keenum looks bad or struggles a bit or the team takes a loss in the upcoming week, then they make the switch to Dwayne Haskins and make that a permanent switch. I think this, and I think this type of offense is a nice, is a good offense for him to try to work under at least the type of uh, scheme between what Callahan and Kevin O'Connell are scheming up. You know, a lot of run, a lot of simple uh, passing routes, a lot of easy reads to get to see if Dwayne Haskins can be the quarterback of the future. So, like I keep hearing people say, it's a quarterback-heavy draft. It's a quarterback-heavy draft. We're going to have a top-five pick. We need to see if if we need to pull uh, Arizona and – move Dwayne Haskins or, you know, whatever the case may be. If we need to see we need to see what we have. And Darren, you brought up a point saying that, you know, uh Jake Rudin refused to play uh AP. He refused to play Dwayne Haskins. Uh Jake Rudin, uh, and this is me coming to his defense a little bit, he he was put in an impossible situation. He was given a team that was a double-digit loss team and said, Give, get this team to the playoffs or lose your job. So he was, uh, he's fighting. He's going uphill. He's facing an uphill battle anyway. He knew it was going to be hard. He decided to set a fight and try to push uphill to put his arms up and enjoy the slide down. So he 
ran the offense he wanted to run, ran the plays he wanted to run, play the players he wanted to play. Colt McCoy, Chris Thompson, his favorites, his guys. He wanted to if he was going to go out, he was going to go out running the team the way he he saw fit. Now. Callahan and Gruden never got along. There was at one point that Gruden demanded Callahan get fired, but Jay Gruden doesn't have the Jay Gruden didn't have power in this organization. Dan and Bruce did not did not care what Jay Gruden had to say or anything like that. So he was not allowed to fire Bill Callahan, even though he was the head coach and Callahan was a staff on his was a coach on his staff. Uh, so. Um, you know, there's going to be, so, you know, just out of philosophy differences and just the two of the two guys not liking each other, Callahan's going to come in and try to do everything different than what Jake Rudin did. And so the team won a one point game that they very well could have lost uh, against the winless tanking Dolphins. And, you know, you see the rookies. You see so many young guys like like Terry McLaurin and others get really excited about the win. It's his first win in the NFL. He has the right to be excited. I see some people knocking him for you know posting you know video or posting I mean, putting something online, acting really excited about the win. He deserves it. He you know he's been one of the bright spots on this team. He's been playing hard and he's not used to losing. And so he finally got his first win in the NFL and he beat. You know, grown men at the game of football. He scored two touchdowns. He had a great game. Listen, he's going to be excited. And so, and the players should feel a sense of pride for what they accomplished on Sunday. They did win. Uh, it was still very ugly. The defense still looked pretty bad. Josh Norman still looked pretty bad. The pass rush was much improved, but tackling was was spotty at times. Coverage was missing and or, or had gaps at times. There's still a lot of things to correct. Uh, Greg Minowski not get, not being fired yet is still amazing to me, um, you know, or at least at the, at the very least uh, suspended of play calling duties. I, I don't, it's crazy that, that he's still in charge of the defense, but you know, it's this it's the Redskins. Nothing happens the way it should. So I don't I don't know why I'm still even surprised by anything at this point. I think I think one other factor, at least on the defensive end, is you know Brian Flores did bench Josh Rosen after three quarters um, to put in Ryan Fitzpatrick, and we do know we do know that Ryan Fitzpatrick is one of those guys who can can light it up for like a little while, and then he'll just cool off and become. Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, he was Ryan Fitzmagic for for a little while last year, and then he became Ryan Fitzpatrick again, or, or Ryan Fitz, or whatever you wanna whatever you wanna call him when he cools off. So I think that definitely uh, played a factor as far as you know, just sort of throwing the defense for a loop. But at the same time, I don't really put that on. I don't really use that as an excuse because yeah. the, the defense, the defense. Has is what we've seen them be all year. So despite you know the Dolphins going to to Fitzpatrick and changing it up and you know not game planning for him or whatever, etc. Like you can't really use that as an excuse because the Redskins are still Redskinsing all over the place, and that's just that's just how it goes with this team. Um, <laughs> when it when it comes to uh, the Washington Redskins, the one thing that I noticed was they actually made an effort to run the ball. Yeah. <laughs> so and and I know Bill Callahan, he he kind of came in and, and said, look, you know, I, I'm gonna run the ball more. And and it showed just one game in. He obviously we know he's the offensive line or he was the offensive line coach. He was the offensive line coach when the Dallas Cowboys got really good. And actually since he's left they kind of regressed. Yes, they're in the top five, I guess you could say, but they kind of regressed. And and the Washington Redskins were one of the better uh, offensive lines for a little bit until, obviously, uh, what's his name? And I'm having a blank. Trent Williams, you know, he hasn't re reported to the team. But anyways, we knew they were going to run the ball. So uh, and they did with Adrian Peterson. And, and I've said this with numerous people off air. 
some friends, and we even spoke about it uh, a couple weeks ago. We said Adrian Peterson is one of those guys, and you can even go back to his days in Minnesota. He's one of those guys where he could have 15 carries for literally 25 yards. Yep. But carry 16 can be 20. And then carry 17 is 15. And carry 18 is another 10. And then he racks them up because he finally is getting in a rhythm. And I think, and we, we've known this. This is what he's been like for his career. So I, I, I think that Callahan actually allowed him to get into rhythm. And, and once the, the running game was going, it made things a little bit easier for not a little bit easier. It actually made things easier for Case Keenum to actually throw the ball downfield. Now, obviously, the game got real dicey at the end. The the Dolphins actually tr- went for the two point conversion instead of the point after field goal attempt to to tie the game to go to overtime. And, and the Redskins they played a good good. They had a good play for that, even though you could say the Dolphins looked unprepared the Redskins still did what they were supposed to do they still got their first victory um so that's a good thing for the Washington Redskins real quick uh and I'll start with you Darren what do you have to say to the fans of the Washington Redskins who still feel like even in a win that it's somehow a loss (laughs) I I say because I, I, let me let me before yeah. I even let you answer, uh, we've spoke about it on this podcast before. Yes. But I, I I am a Dallas Cowboys fan, yes. and the Dallas Cowboys are three and three, and the last three weeks have been terrible as a as a Dallas Cowboys fan. Yeah, and and I know the Redskins got their first victory, and I'm I'm to the point where I'm like, can we just get a victory? Right. <laughs> also, so I right. hear these Redskins fans who are like, oh, you know, it's just the Dolphins. Uh, it's Look. messing up our draft stock. And I'm just like, you know, what? you got to win in the NFL. Right. So what do you have to say about the fans who are in, kind of feel that way where they feel like it's a loss, even in a winning situation? I say, I say embrace the fact that the Redskins are the only NFC East team that won this weekend. Um, that's nice. Uh I say I can't fully disagree with you, but at the same time, like you said, a win is a win, you know, and we can we can still, you know, obviously we got the 49ers next week. That's and we're already they're favored by double digits again, as most teams are against the Redskins. But um I think just we have we have one week of enjoyment. So I say just live it up. Forget the fact that it was a one-point win. Forget the fact that it was against the Dolphins. I say just embrace it. Live it up. This is going to be our one week to laugh at the Cowboys and uh, the Cowboys, basically. Sorry, Jared. <laughs> but it's going to be it's going to be our one week to really laugh at the Cowboys and just i say enjoy it i say we can walk around with our heads not held high but with our heads not hanging low at the very least for a week so just embrace the good that comes out of this one win um it's funny when you say that you know what do you say to the fans i feel like i'm part of that thing that group of fans i don't I'm not excited about this win. Right. I'm not excited about the nail-biting win against the team that is going out of its way to lose as much as possible and, and uh, rack up draft picks. That it what well, it came down to a two-point conversion with less than five seconds left to go in the game for the game to be won. Um, I'm not excited about it. I'm not excited about the fact that my team had to fire its coach mid, not even midway through the season. I'm upset that we're two weeks from Halloween and we just got our first win. I'm upset that the quarterback we drafted to be the quarterback of the future has not played, uh, who has not been given a chance to play in a way that will not be the starter. Yeah, next week. What'd you say? 
he, I said he will not be the starter next week. Uh, Bill Callahan has already said that Case Keenum, they're rolling with Case Keenum next yeah. week. So I don't, I don't expect, I don't expect him to be the starter next week. He's on a one game winning streak. I, I, I don't. He's undefeated as, a, as the interim head coach. He's not going to change it up. They're going to come out next week. Case Keenum, the starter, AP running at the ball twenty times, like. That's what they're going to do. That's what, like that's what at least that's what they're going to try to do. Uh, coming into next week against the Niners, and it's more often, more likely to not going to end very badly for them. Uh, and I hope you know, my hope is that no matter how bad it gets, barring any injury, they keep Dwayne Haskins off the field. Don't put him in a situation again where he is. You know, set up to fail. Set up to fail, where he has to come in and he has to come in and play under duress, and he has to come in and uh, do mop up duty, whatever the terminology is. Like, don't do that to him. Don't ruin his. Don't ruin whatever confidence he may have, and just set him up to fail. Then when. Like I said, nothing about it feels good. Nothing at all. Nothing about the win. Nothing about the um, excuse me, my dog is thirsty. But nothing about the uh, win or this week or this team I feel good about right now. I don't. There's just a lot of things that are happening that are aggravating that's not just what's happening with this team, but what's been happening for the past 15, 20 years. The quarterback carousel, the coaching carousel, the lack of identity, the unnecessarily just ineptitude that this team seems to have. One seem like I don't understand how hard it is to look at the team's that have been successful year in and year out. See what the Patriots have done, the Steelers have done, what the Ravens have done, not even a whole hour and a half away from where you are. See what the Ravens have done. See what teams that are constantly that are constantly and just always in a place of success. See what they're doing. They find a coach that they find a coach and find a front office uh, executive or front office leader, general manager that have one shared vision, that have the same ideals, that have a respect for each other, and they go about it and they draft and develop a, a culture that's with people that they that they that fit that culture and fit that scheme and fit that vision. The Redskins just, oh, there's a Josh Norman suddenly got cup of the Panthers. Let's throw $75 million at him because we needed a cornerback. No matter that he doesn't fit our scheme at all, let's just give him, let's make him the highest paid cornerback in the NFL. Hey, we botched the Kirk Cousins situation. We have a quarterback here in Jake Gruden and we're saying we're you know, diving all in on. We lost the quarterback that fit his system well. We have Colt McCoy in house, but he's not a real starting quarterback. We can go the draft route and try to find a guy or let Colt be a bridge guy. But no, let's go out and trade a promising young and a draft pick for Alex Smith, who's on the wrong side of 35. And doesn't fit what Jay Gruden wants to do here at all. And then he ends up getting hurt. You draft a quarterback that the coach didn't want that doesn't fit your system. Now the coaching staff refuses to play him. And you want to play him, but you don't want to put him in a bad situation because you messed up the last quarterback you drafted in the first round, RG3, so bad. You don't want to do the same thing and have to be in the situation again seven years later in 2026. So now you're just in this huge cycle of mistakes and covering up mistakes and making bad decisions and doing everything like that. It's awful. I don't understand. Like, they, I don't, and it, what makes it worse is that Dan and Bruce seem to be oblivious or just don't care to, about what's happening. It's like they don't understand that they have lost an entire generation of fans. Like, an entire generation of fans are gone. The only fans they have left 
the ones who were alive during the golden era and older. If you're over the age of 35, then and you're a Redskins fan, then great. You're you're still a Redskins fan. You're still somebody who's uh, who's seen success here and remember the stories, remember the winning, and so you'll be a fan for life, no matter how bad they get. Anybody age 35 or younger, growing up in DC. They're more often than not not a Redskins fan, or at, th- or at this point they've checked out. One in five going into mid October, you've checked out at this point. At the at the very best, like me and Darren, we are we are the small mon- we are the small minority, the ones my who home. are still who are young enough that we haven't really seen success here in DC. But we still hold on to this team so much so we get on that we get on our laptops once a week and talk about them for a podcast. Like we we are, you know, the small percentage of fans. But then entire generation, this entire two thousand two thousand babies. They're all gone to be Patriots fans or Ravens fans or. Steelers fans or not even football fans because the DC team has been so bad this in, for this entire millennium. Technic technically technically I was alive when the Redskins won their last championship. I was three. Three? I was three or four. But I was technically alive when the Redskins won their last championship. But you don't. That, but that doesn't count. it's not like that you were able count. to enjoy it. That's what I'm no, saying. Like you I was definitely not. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But at 35, you know, you would have been, you know, seven years old, eight years just, old when the Redskins you, last won. Did you just so say 35? Like, no, you're not 35. Oh, okay. So, okay. The Redskins fan yeah. who is 35 now yes. would have been. Seven years old when the Redskins last won their Super Bowl, and that's right around the age when you really start to buy in. And so, yeah, they—that's what I'm—that's what I'm saying. Like anybody under that, you know, there's a better than not chance Dan Snyder has driven you away from this team. And my parents are not Redskins fans. They are not the ones that raised me to be a Redskins fan. So, I mean. So yeah, so that's what, but that's what I'm saying. Like they lost an entire generation of fans. Like that's that's why uh, the home game against the Patriots were was so packed. I mean, the Patriots fans that travels well. You know, Patriots, Cowboys, Steelers. Those fans travel no matter what stadium you're in, no matter what city you're in. But the Patriots, there's a lot of Patriots fans in. I, I, there was a report, there's an article written about it. Um, I saw a while ago that where the NFL team had historically bad since the Patriots dynasty has started. There, uh, the Patriots are often the second. The most favorite team, the second uh, most favorite team in that, no matter regardless of uh, geographical location. So teams like so cities like DC and cities like Cleveland, even though Cleveland, it's you know the gap between Browns and Patriots still significant because Cleveland is still a a, a really good sports town. But nonetheless, uh, those kind of cities that haven't had success at all and has been really, really bad these past uh, twenty years. The Patriots, or the, like the Patriots, have got, gotten a lot of the younger millennial uh, fan base because they've been successful for all of their teen, uh, preteen, and teenage and young adulthood years. So, you know. The Redskins have lost their best hope. Their best hope is figuring out within the next five years. They figure out some type of formula within the next five years that can have them be successful for the for the next twenty. Because then they run the risk of 
just becoming a stagnant franchise. No franchise anywhere can run the risk of being this bad for three decades. I can't think of a professional franchise that had absolutely no success for three full decades and still able, was still able to keep hold of their team and uh, keep hold of their fan base. I I can't think of one. I'm, I don't. Yeah, that's been this bad. So I'm part of that fan base. I'll never not cheer for the Redskins, no matter what. I'll always be a Redskins fan. I, I have a sense of loyalty in me that won't ever waver, especially when it comes to the Redskins. It's unfortunate. I'm so upset. I wish I grew up a Capitals fan. I really do. I really wish I grew up rooting for the Capitals and everything that they did so I could enjoy that win two years ago as, as much as I really wanted to. But I grew up a Redskins fan. I grew up cheering for the Burgundy and Gold. And they have not been as faithful to me as I have been to them. And it's just sad. But that I feel like I embody a lot of what DC fans, what Redskin fans truly, uh, truly feel. All right. Tell them how you really feel there, uh, Gerard. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 was, that, that, was, that one was passionate. Yeah. <laughs> Let's now move on to the Baltimore Ravens. They got their second victory in a row by defeating the Cincinnati Bengals 23-17. to Quarterback Lamar Jackson had 238 passing yards on 21. Uh, he had 21 completions out of 23. I'm sorry, 21 completions out of 33 total passes. He also had 152 rushing yards on 19 carries. And I'll start with you, Gerard. Based on how Lamar Jackson has used his running ability, and not just this game on Sunday, but how he's rushed as a quarterback in his about year and a half in the NFL, uh, do you think it's sustainable for long term success? Or is he, you know, I mean, is it, is it sustainable? Can he do it similar to like a Russell Wilson? Or is he going to kind of go through some of the trials and tribulations of like Michael Vick and other quarterbacks that were kind of bruised up because of their running? Um, you know, Russell Wilson won. Uh, he hasn't been extremely healthy his whole career. He's taken some lumps. And a little bit of, uh, you know, he's taken some hits and some injuries in his career. And he's not as mobile as those guys. You know, he's not as mobile as Lamar Jackson or Michael Vick or uh, Colin Kaepernick or any of those type of guys that you know, really had a lot of their careers based on their legs. I do think it's sustainable, though, because the one thing that Lamar Jackson has over the Michael Vicks and the Russell Wilsons, he has more, he's built a little bit better. He's bigger. He's stronger than those guys. You know, he's, uh, he's well over six foot. He has, you know, football, uh, player shape. He's built similar to what you'll see some running backs or even receivers be, uh, built like. And so I think his body is kind of equipped to handle the, uh, the pressure of the NFL, um, and he's and he's and he runs like a football player. One of the issues that RG three had in his uh, year, his rookie year here in DC and throughout his career, is he was fast. He could move. He was mobile, but you know he couldn't break out of his Olympic. Tracks, uh, his Olympic track style of running, and so his gait was extremely wide for somebody who played football. And that, you know, when he took a hit, his body was more exposed as opposed to a, a football player who runs a little bit more compact, so their body's better able to absorb contact. And you know, and he wasn't the bulkiest guy either. And then he also didn't know how to slide and all that kind of stuff that he had issues with as well. And so Lamar Jackson doesn't really have those type of issues. So I think he'll be able to uh, hold up no matter what, though. Um, it's a reason why running back careers are typically short. 
um, for football players. If you take contact too often, if you're doing too much, you know, you making too much use of your legs, especially at the quarter at the uh, QB position, he can't have 120 yard rushing games every single week because it's only October now. By the time we get to Thanksgiving. His legs are going to be done, and he still needs the leg, and he still needs his legs to be able to throw the ball effectively. And you don't want him to lose any of the velocity or any of the accuracy on his throws. So, can he? Yes, I just don't think it's best practice for him to do it. If you have to run the ball, or you have to adjust so that you can, uh, he's not exposing him to anything too. Much much arm talent, just change the offense, run a little bit more West Coast style offense where he's getting the ball out quicker, where he's not having to rely on tight throws and touch passes where he has multiple options to get the ball out as he sees fit. I, I'm going to go the other way. I don't think it's sustainable for long-term success. I think I think it can be. I think in this case, it won't be. I hear all the points that you're making. Um, and they're good, they're good points, but I'm I'm still I'm still gonna err on the side of at the very least, for if we want to look at long-term success, um, as far as success in the league, um, not even just talking about the sustainability, you know, whether or not he can do this for years to come. But I think if he wants the Ravens to really have success, it's got to be much more balanced than just, you know, primarily relying on the run game or, you know, just, just sort of defaulting, defaulting to it. You know, Lamar Jackson is an incredibly talented athlete. I think that, you know, what he has brought to the Ravens has been amazing, but I, and you know, um, he's probably on pace to break the NFL record for, for rushing yards by a quarterback. Um, but I think that, you know, if he wants to have a success, if the Ravens really want to win anything, then it's gotta be about, you know, balancing that and especially being really good at throwing the football, you know, Lamar Jackson's throwing has certainly improved. And I know that John Harbaugh's uh, whole philosophy is that, you know, he wants to build this team around, around the run game and around Lamar's ability to run the ball, but, you know, to have success against, you know, the really good teams and to have, you know, late season, you know, playoff success and even go even further than that, you know, you've got to be able to adapt when teams can actually shut down the run game and they can, they can shut down your ability to rush the ball. So, um, you know, my concern is also always going to be, you know, despite the fact that he is built differently, as you, as you said, you know, he is able to sort of to run and, you know, not necessarily, or, you know, keep himself out of trouble for the most part. You know, the big thing is that it does wear down in your legs. You know, it's like we, what we see with running backs, you know, a lot of them have, you know, the arthritis in their, in their knees and whatnot, and it just wears your legs down. So especially being the quarterback, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's the most important position on the field, you know, he's got to be able to stay healthy. He's got to be able to stay fresh. And if he's running his legs out, you know, uh, eight games into the season every single year, that's not a formula for long-term success. So he's got to be able to to really throw the ball and rely on the passing game as well as rushing and being able to run the ball effectively. So, um, I like seeing his ability to rush, his ability to really run. You know, I think he's better than an RG3 and whatnot, you know, guys that, that you know, couldn't get out of trouble. Um, but I don't think this is sustain- sustainable, at least for long-term success. It'll be great for these, for these early season games and for, you know, being able to break records and whatnot, but... I think for actual Ravens' success, you know, this isn't going to be sustainable. 
All right. Well, that will do it for us here at DMV Dispute. Hopefully, you all enjoyed the show. And if you did, subscribe to us wherever podcasts are available. Maybe even leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice so we could grow on the charts and reach more people. You can find us on Twitter at DMV Dispute. You can find me on Twitter at J Squared 21 Darren, where can they find you on Twitter? I am at D-Bird Hoops. That's D-B-I-R-D Hoops. Go Nats. It's looking good. Let's let's bring it home. What about you, Jerron? They can find me on Twitter at Roddy KG. That's at R-O-D-D-Y-K-G. Shout out to the Nats. Stay in the fight. Um, don't forget to check out DMVSportsNetwork.com. Follow them on Instagram and Twitter at DMV underscore SN. And if you want to join the team, contact them via Twitter, the website, or shoot them an email at DMV Sports Network at Outlook.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Peace. Peace out. See you guys.